take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to be again reading in verse number 20 in a moment. As we've already noted, Daniel has not, not only interpreted the dreams of others, but he also received four visions from God himself concerning future events. The first vision, which we saw in Daniel chapter 7, occurred during the first year of the reign of Belshazzar, the last king of the Babylonian Empire, around 555 B.C. The second vision, which we examined in Daniel chapter 8, was the vision of the ram and the goat, which took place in the third year of Belshazzar's reign, about 552 B.C. About 13 years have passed since that second vision, and Daniel is about 82 years old at this point. And tonight we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9, at that third vision, the vision of the 70 weeks. This vision took place about 538 B.C. in the first year of the reign of Darius. But in reality, the prophecy recorded here is really neither a vision nor a dream. There are no strange symbols of animals or statues. What we find here is a direct message to Daniel from God delivered by the angel Gabriel. Read again the first two verses to reacquaint ourselves. It says in the first year of Darius, the son of Azarias, the lineage of Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish seven years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Although Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel, Daniel received his inspiration and recognized that Jeremiah's words were from God. And he also recognized by the reading of the prophet of Jeremiah that the captivity of the Jews would end soon. You might want to turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 10. These are the words that perhaps Daniel was reading. It says, For thus says the Lord, after seven years or seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good will toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. <clears throat> we know that Daniel had been taken captive about 605 B.C., and this was the first year of Darius's reign, which is 538 B.C., so we know Daniel has been in captivity some 67 years. He recognizes that his people are only a few years away from returning to Jerusalem. But he also realizes that the people of Israel are not ready to do so. The sad fact that faces Daniel is that although the time has come for the end of the Babylonian captivity, uh, the Jews were not seeking after God. Many of the exiles were 
far too comfortable with their lives in Babylon to care about going back to Jerusalem and starting from scratch. Daniel, therefore, prays on their behalf. We look at that beginning in verse number 20, the prophet's prayer. The context of the revelation of God's future dealing with his people is found in Daniel's prayer that we looked at last time, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. In his prayer, Daniel had pleaded with God to hear his prayer, to forgive Israel's sin, and to act on Israel's behalf. So Daniel was praying that he might see the promise of the transformation of the people of God promised by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, and beginning in verse 31, we find these words. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. As I said, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 is is neither a dream nor a vision, but it's a direct message from God. Daniel is down on his knees in prayer, pouring out his heart in confession and petition to God, God sends Gabriel with the answer. Gabriel was the heavenly emissary sent to Mary about Jesus and to tell Zacharias about the birth of John. And now he went, or before this all occurred, he went in answer of Daniel's prayer. Verse 20 says, Now while I was speaking... And confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of God, my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to to fly swiftly, reached me about the time the evening offering. And he informed me, talking with me, and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. In verse 23, Gabriel assures Daniel that as soon as he began to pray, an answer was sent. There's an amazing promise given in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 24 where it says, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Now, we have to recognize context here and recognize that this is a specific promise for the millennial reign of Christ. It is also his ideal model for our prayers now. David Jeremiah points out that in the King, King James Version, 
it says, Thou art greatly beloved. It is significant that the greatest source of prophetic information in the New Testament is from the Apostle John, and the greatest prophet of the Old Testament is Daniel, both of whom are described as greatly beloved of God. In verse 24, we begin to look at the prophecy of the 70 weeks. The amazing revelation of verses 24 through 26 come as an answer to Daniel's intercession. In verse 24, we are told, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring end everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now we have within this six things that need to be accomplished. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for iniquity. I think that we can say that all three of those were achieved in the Lord's first advent and the remaining three will be seen in his second coming to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. That particular thing can also be translated to anoint the most holy one. So I don't know if it's talking about the temple or the Lord himself. Well, the previous prophecies have concerned the Gentile nations. This prophecy outlines God's prophetic program for the Jews. In fact, what we find in Daniel chapter 9 through the end of the chapter is called the, the backbone of Bible prophecy or the foundation of Bible prophecy because it's almost impossible to understand the prophecy of Revelation apart from an understanding of Daniel chapter 9. This message to Israel is to Israel because he says, for your people, and it involves Jerusalem, where it says your holy city. Verse 24 says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And the word that is translated weeks is a word which simply means seven. It means, it could mean seven minutes, seven days, seven decades. It's like our word dozen. If I ask you to bring me a dozen, you would say, a dozen of what, right? The context makes it clear that this is seven years. The same word is used in Genesis 29 when it speaks of Jacob working seven years for Rachel. The scope of a prophecy then covers not 70 years as Daniel would have hoped, but 77 of years. What, uh, what is under consideration here is not weeks of days, but weeks of years. These weeks are weeks of seven years each. The angel is thus saying to Daniel that this is a, pro- this is a period of 70 weeks of years or a period of 490 years total. According to verse 25 through 27, 
the first 490 years, 70 times seven are divided into three periods. There's one period of seven weeks, that's 49 years. There's one period of 62 weeks, that's 434 years, and one remaining week of seven years. What is contained here is the most amazing prophetic message in all of God's word and the most troubling to the critics of God's word because it not only tells us what will happen but gives us the precise timing of those things. None of the major religions of the world have prophetic predictions that can be reliably verified by history. First of all, the first period of prophecy Chapter 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall and even in troublesome times. So verse 25 tells us that when the period of 70 weeks will begin, it will begin when a decree is issued to restore and build Jerusalem. <clears throat> but what degree, decree are we referring to? There are four possible decrees. There is the decree of Cyrus in 538, but that really uh, concerned the rebuilding of the temple, not of the city. There is the, the decree of Darius, again dealing with the temple. There is the the decree of Artaxerxes in 479, and then there is a second degree decree by Artaxerxes in 445 that is given to Nehemiah. I believe it is the decree that is issued by Artaxerxes in 444 to 445 BC to Nehemiah that best fits the timetable. That this is some 94 years from the time that Daniel received the vision. During the first period, 49 years, seven weeks of years, the city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt. From the decree being issued until the, the city is completely rebuilt, 49 years. The second time period of the prophecy is found in verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and the time and the end of the war desolations are determined. Once again, we have to understand that sometimes when we're talking with Bible prophecy, there is a near application and there is a far application. Some things that are partially fulfilled at one time, but only completely fulfilled at another. And we begin to deal with that. So this second period is 434 years. And it takes us up to the time of Christ. <clears throat> Verse 26 says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Now the time <clears throat> that is spoken of here is not the birth of Christ. It could be that it's describing time that he is baptized because that would be his anointing for service. It could be uh, his presentation uh, to the nation of Israel 
as the Messiah, and that's the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, or it could be his death. I believe it is probably his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. Scholars have calculated using the Jewish calendar. This is really complicated, folks. Uh, You have to understand we don't use the same calendar today that they used. They used a calendar that had 360 days. And you have to take all of those variables in in order to come to the right uh, numbers. But scholars have calculated using the Jewish calendar of 360 days that it was exactly 434 years from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem in 445 B.C., to the time that Christ triumphantly entered into the city of Jerusalem in A.D. 33. The prophecy predicts that the Messiah will be rejected and cut off. I think we can safely say killed is cut off. Verse 26 goes on to say that after the Messiah is cut off, that a prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall come with a flood. Well, once again, here's where we see the near fulfillment and the future fulfillment. That's exactly what happened in AD 70 when the Roman armies under Titus came in and surrounded the city and ultimately took the city and destroyed the temple. But it is also going to be fulfilled in a future time when the Antichrist will be the one who is doing this. With the destruction of the city of Jerusalem the prophetic timetable stopped. Over 2,000 years have gone by. We are now living in a great interval between the 69th week and the 70th week. That means there are seven more years of God's prophetic timetable to be seen. We're now living in the interval called the church age began at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in and indwelt the disciples and the church was formed. And it will end with the rapture of the church. How long will it last? How long is this interval that we're in going to last? The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The church age is going to last until the very last of God's elect are saved. And then boom, the Lord is going to come back to get his church. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. At that precise moment, when the church is removed, the church clock stops, and the prophetic clock for Israel resumes. Now, I have a little drawing that I hope we're going to get up here in a minute of the views of the timing of the rapture. We're talking about the church age and then we have the millennium. What 
how long is that going to be? Well, we believe there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. But not everybody know, uh, agrees on how, at what point that's going to come. The first uh, group you hit is the group I find myself in, and that's pre-tribulation. That are those who believe that <clears throat> the church is going to be raptured before the, tra- before the tribulation begins, that seven-year tribulation period. There are also others who say, no, 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 no. Things could get really bad before the church is removed, and so they hold a mid-tribulation. In fact, the next two are almost synonymous because some people who say they're mid-trib say they're pre-wrath. This seven-year tribulation period is divided into two three-and-a-half-year periods, and we're going to look at that in just a few moments. But that first half of the, of the tribulation period is not going to be near as intense as the second half of the tribulation period. In fact, the second half of the tribulation period is all called, also called uh, the time of, uh, of Jacob's troubles. Uh, it'll be much more intense than the other. If you ever wondered where we get this concept of a future seven-year tribulation period, it, it comes <clears throat> from this passage. Jesus refers to it in Matthew chapter 24 in verse 15 where he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. Some people believe that abomination of desolation has already occurred. Those are the ones, and this is where we see the near and the far. There was an abomination of desolation under Antiochus, Epiphanes. He came into the temple. He had a, he had a working relationship with the Jews for a while, and then he came into the temple. He erected a statue of Zeus, and he, and he sacrificed a pig making the altar desecrated. And it's called the abomination of desolation. But I believe it also describes what's going to happen <clears throat> again under the Antichrist who will himself uh, develop a relationship with Israel, a covenant with, uh, with Israel uh, for three and a half years, and he'll break that covenant uh, when he installs a, what I believe will be a statue of himself in the, in the temple and demand to be worshipped. Paul refers to this in the second letter to the church at Thessalonica when he says, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So the amazing events that John foretells in the book of Revelation Chapters 6 through 19 are simply 
an expansion of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. The third period of prophecy, that which we, found, we find in verse 27. Up until this point, the prophecy has been pretty straightforward with its application to Jewish history. Jerusalem was rebuilt, but trials continue. When the Messiah Jesus arrived, he was certainly cut off. He was crucified and, humanly speaking, left with nothing. The most difficult part of the understanding of this revelation to Daniel is the third and final week, which is outlined here in verse 27. And then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the midst of the week, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and to the offering. And on the wing of abomination shall he be made desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is pour out, poured out on the desolate. There's a couple of interesting considerations here. It says that he shall bring to an end sacrifice and offerings. What's that, why is that significant? Well, there are no sacrifices and offerings in Jerusalem today because there is no temple. So in order for that to happen, there has to be the reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the major problem with that now is that the Dome of the Rock, the second most holy place in the, in the Muslim religion, uh, is sitting on the, what we believe to be the site of the temple. Of course, I don't believe God would have any problem removing that if he wanted to do so. So the question is, though, <clears throat> what triggers this 70th week? What triggers that move from the 69th week to the beginning of the 70th week? What things will occur during that time period? Well, the answer is given there in verse 27. The signal that God's prophetic program will be resumed, this final seven-year period, is that, that a certain person will sign the covenant with Israel. <clears throat> this, of course, is the Antichrist. I found out very interesting this afternoon. I now know who the Antichrist is. I read it on the internet, so it's got to be true, right? Um, one writer said that it was Barack Obama. Okay. Another one said it was Trump. So there you go. Which one? I'm going to know who. I'm going to know who it is. When he gets shot in, the dead, shot in the head and dies and comes back to life. You will know then that you're dealing with the Antichrist. Because that's what the Bible says is going to happen to him. But we have a whole list of names <clears throat> that the Antichrist is known by. Uh, the Antichrist in 1 John 2. The, the little horn of Daniel 7. The prince of Daniel chapter 9. The one who makes uh, desolation. Daniel 9.27. The willful king. Daniel chapter 11, the man of lawlessness, 2 Thessalonians, the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians 2, or the beast in Revelation chapter 13. The he that is spoken of in verse 27 is none other than the little horn we saw in Daniel 7 and 8, and he is the beast of Revelation 3, the man of sin, 2 Thessalonians 2. He is the Antichrist who will appear to be a man of peace. 
he will broker an amazing peace agreement for Israel. Verse 27 speaks of a time when a covenant will be made with Israel for one week. That's seven years. The repossession of the temple site and the rebuilding of the temple will, of course, be necessary before temple sacrifice can be reinstituted. I've read several times that they are even now in Jerusalem preparing for that day, that they are that they are training priests to be ready to resume the animal sacrifices. They are even using genetics today to produce the red heifer that would be necessary to sanctify the temple. And that they, have, uh, they are reconstructing, reconstructing all the temple uh, elements so that when that day comes, they're ready. It is possible that the reposition of the temple site and the rebuilding of the temple will be of a direct consequence of the covenant that the Antichrist makes with Israel. I jokingly said that someone said that uh, it was going to be Trump, and the reason they said that was because Trump has taken a stand with Israel uh, to move the the U.S. Embassy to the capital in Jerusalem. Well, I don't really see that as a covenant, a seven-year covenant, but... Apparently, the writer did. Just imagine that someday, though, a world leader comes along and he is able to convince the Arab world to give up the control of the Temple Mount so that the Jews can rebuild their temple. He would be the man of the hour. He would be a candidate for the Nobel Peace Prize. The prophecy says that this peace, however, will only last for one week, seven years, that Three and a half years into this process, the Antichrist will desecrate the temple. He will end the sacrifices. And that will be the point at which we move from the first half uh, of the tribulation to the more severe half of the second uh, part of the tribulation period, the second three and a half years. So the seven years that will be known as the tribulation period The seven-year tribulation is described in detail in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Gabriel tells us that in the middle of that seven-year period, his true character will come out when he causes the sacrifices to end and he causes the abomination of desolation or the abomination which literally causes desolation. According to 2 Thessalonians 2.4, this abomination will be when he sets up an image of himself and demands that it be worshipped. I've tried my very best to make these as as simple as possible. Uh, These are difficult uh, scriptures, but they're not impossible. I think it should uh, build our faith And knowing that Jesus has everything under control, even in those days, when we don't feel like things are in God's hands, they are in God's hands, and that that nothing is beyond his control. And throughout history, God has continued to move his people and his church to its appointed end. That one day, just exactly what he said in this book will come to pass. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for the assurance of your word that even those who are critical of your word have to say that uh, there are some pretty amazing things here. Amazing predictions. So much so that they, they want to say they couldn't have been written when they were written because nobody could have made those kind of predictions with that kind of accuracy. But we know <clears throat> that you know the future. And therefore, you can tell us exactly what's going to happen. So help it to be an encouragement to us, Lord, to continue to follow you, continue to have faith that you're in control of our world and you're in control of our destiny. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.